Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everybody and welcome to another episode of the United States of a Movie Podcast. This is the most fun I get to have every week because we try to answer the impossible question. Can we find the one movie to define each state in these United States? It would be impossible if I didn't have my amazing co-host along with me for the ride. Ryan, Will, welcome back to the show, fellas. Great to be here, man. Yeah, United States of a Podcast, always say die. Wait, hold (laughs) on, I messed that up. (laughs) <laughs> cut, cut, cut that. Goonies always say <laughs> die, right? Yeah, that's, that's how always. it works. Uh, and the reason, saying die. the reason for that Goonies reference is because the, the mm. state we are trying to take down this week is Oregon. And I'm really, really interested in this week's episode because after going through these three movies, um, they are very Oregon. So this is yeah. going to be like so tricky to figure out where we are ending up. Um, so the movie I picked, um, now, of course, the very first movie I ever saw that taught me what Oregon looked like was a little movie called The Goonies, but I went a little differently. I went with the 2021 movie Pig, um, written and directed by Michael Sarnowski. If you've never heard of that name, that's because this is his debut, and he came out of the gates with an absolute banger of a movie that stars Nicolas Cage and Alex Wolfe. Uh, and Adam Arkin. So it's a very small cast. It's a very yeah. small movie. Um, but I found it to be really great. But of course, you guys brought some classics along to the party with you. Will, what did you bring? I obviously brought the classic film Goonies, Richard Donner, Stone Cold Classic, produced by Spielberg, starring the most successful people in Hollywood right now, back at the start of their careers. <laughs> yes, yes, we do have. Yes, we've got Sean Astin, Josh Brolin, Corey Feldman, and Oscar winner. Kei Huy Kwan, uh, very mm-hmm. recently. So, but then also, you know, um, you brought a prestige film, which is like The Goonies, which to me is like a perfect movie. But yeah. prestige also continued with Ryan's choice. Ryan, what did you bring? I picked basically what if instead of a treasure hunt, the Goonies decided to go on a search for a dead body. <laughs> um, also starring, you know, actors crushing their career, some of them. Uh, less than others. I picked uh, I picked Rob Reiner's Stand By Me, a movie that after re-watching it, I didn't realize just how much childhood trauma I went through watching this. Yeah. It was uh, yeah. Stand By I, Me was a, re- a weird oof. watch. 
I, when I first saw this movie, I was probably about the age of the actors in it. So this hit like, Mm -hmm. it was devastating to rewatch it. I'm like, oh yeah, this is why I'm in therapy. Cool, 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 cool. (laughs) Yeah, um, it stars uh, Wesley Crusher himself, Will Wheaton, or Will Wheaton, as we just say. Yes. Uh, River Phoenix, Corey (laughs) Feldman, he turns up in two movies this week. Uh, Jerry O'Connell, great comedic uh, pass. Kiefer Sutherland as a total dick. Richard Dreyfuss and uh, John Cusack turns up every now and again. and it's kind of like, it's funny you say that, uh, Ryan, what you were saying is it's Stand By Me is essentially The Goonies if it was written by Stephen King. It is actually yeah. based off a Stephen King novella. I didn't know that until it got to the yeah. credits. I'd totally forgotten that. And when I was looking at the three movies, I'm like, Pig, Goonies, and Stand By Me all involve someone going on a mission to yeah. find something. But and only like, two found- of them have Corey Feldman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I tell you, if Corey Feldman had turned up in Pig, I, I was he thinking probably would have fit right in, but if, that would have been amazing. If he plays a Pig... If yeah. License to Drive took place in Oregon, we'd be sitting real pretty right now. And the cool thing is, like, so I've been getting into the into the behind the scenes of it all as well. These are very, very much shot in Oregon. Mm-hmm. So I think this is, of all of the weeks that we've done so far, this is going to be an absolutely sort of like a tricky one. But I think, you know, where I want to start with is kind of because we we're already getting into it is, is Stand By Me, a movie that I haven't seen, I think, for maybe 15 years. I knew I had it on DVD. It's just one of those ones that I go, oh, I've seen that movie. I do, I, do I need to put that on? I put it on, was finding it familiar, but very quickly within the sort of the first 15 minutes, kind of like you were saying, Ryan, I was traumatized by it. This movie teaches us that everybody in Oregon is a terrible person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, <laughs> is there one redeeming character in the whole film? The dead body, probably. <laughs> Yeah, Ray Browers maybe probably the, was a nice guy. Maybe the most satisfying arc. <laughs> <laughs> this movie has has caused me to have crippling fear of uh, shallow rivers, blueberry pie, and trains. <laughs> and not not ball, like not uh, dog sicking balls. You know, <laughs> it's like, yeah. that's another another legit fear that came from this one. But like, I mean, that's what I'm kind of saying is like, even the way the four main boys. So the crux of the movie is. Um, Will Wheaton, River Phoenix, Corey Feldman, Jerry O'Connell. They're just four kids that are hanging out in summer in the middle of nowhere, Oregon. Um, they, um, Jerry O'Connell overhears his brother talking about a body of this kid that's been found, this kid that's been missing for like three days, same age as them. And so they decide to go on an adventure to walk two days to go and see this dead body for whatever reason. But once it gets into it, the way they talk to each other is just so reflective of the trauma that they have been through being raised Mm -hmm. by parents who have been through trauma of themselves. And everyone is just mistreating everybody endlessly. Yeah, Yeah, it's uh, devastating. Yeah, I have it in my notes that this is like, uh, this movie really showcases the dangers of having nothing to do as a kid. Where like... Oh, the only thing there is to do in this town is to knock over mailboxes and go see dead bodies. Yeah. Like, thank God video games were invented because, man. Like, to be fair, if, I, if we were on recording this podcast right now, that's probably what I would be out doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Technology is saving us from drama like this. That's the stance I'm taking. God, it was wild. Like, I mean, like, Will Wheaton's parents are the worst. Um, yeah. You've yeah. got the mum from Gremlins and you've got Quato from uh, Total Recall. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> right and like yeah. their, their old brother John Cusack has died and he was clearly the favorite and then so it's so funny because okay the movie is actually Richard Dreyfus set in the now so let's go like in the 80s yeah. uh telling us sort of the story in flashback but this whole movie is a flashback 
But inside that flashback movie, you get two other flashbacks, and you get a flashback imaginary scene in the flashback. I was like, I'm freaking confused. <laughs> and you also get the POV of like Kiefer Sutherland and his gang, which I was like, how did yeah. Gordy get that information? Yeah. <laughs> Where is that coming from? I do have it in my notes again that this is the first uh, wrong kid died movie. Like if you've seen Walk Hard. That's the only thing I was thinking about when my dad showed up. <laughs> the wrong kid died. <laughs> I was just, what card? Yes. The Dewey Cox story. I was just, I rewatched the scene all the time. I was just laughing about it with my wife last night. Is the marijuana scene where he comes in. He's like, you don't want none of this. Like, oh, oh, what is it? Well, I, I don't want to get addicted. It's non-habit forming. Well, I don't want to go to work with a hangover. It doesn't give you a hanger. hangover. Well, I still want to be able to have sex. It makes sex even better. Oh, I'm not sure I can afford that. It's the cheapest drug there is. <laughs> you don't want none of this. Dude. That movie has single-handedly ruined music biopics for me. I can't watch a oh, yeah. single one. Because they're all the, it's the same formula. It again, is. Credit, again, credit to Patrick Williams for pointing that out to me and ruining biopics. Like, God it it doesn't it. get yeah. enough credit, that movie. I really need to, I think it Fantastic. should be a, a higher held comedy. But you, I was reading Absolutely. A, a, an article saying the same thing. It's completely changed how biopics are. The, closest, like, the closest second, the closest second is weird, the Al Yankovic story, which I, was I about to say. strongly yeah. recommend. Oh, I've been phenomenal. waiting to watch that. Oh my God. It'll, it's, so if you good. like Dewey Cox, you're going to love Weird, the Ali Agavik story. It's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, that's right. We're supposed to be talking about Stand By Me. We've got the stage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Starring Weird Ali Agavik. <laughs> so, yeah, it was really, I mean, kind of like you guys were saying, no one's got anything to do. So you've got Jerry O'Connell digging holes to find his pennies. Um, you've got all the other boys just smoking cigarettes. Um, you've got, I mean, I, you know what really bothered me? The unresolved storyline was like John Cusack in flashback gives Will Wheaton his good luck hat, the New York hat, that then gets stolen by River Phoenix's brother and we never see the hat again. I'm like, where's the resolution of that little... I was like, that's, yeah. that's the only thing he's got left of his dead brother. And he's just like, oh, forget about it. <laughs> what? Yeah. But it does have a literal Chekhov's gun in this movie. Like, yes. it is yep. the classic example of a Chekhov's gun in this film. Um, and, so it does maybe, got that going for it. And maybe one of the best line deliveries of that is like, what are you going to shoot us? He's like, no, Ace, just you. Yeah, I mean, that showdown is so good. <laughs> Will we, it gets pretty cool fantastic. by the end of it. Suck yeah. my fat one or whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> In four counties. Um, but I mean, can we just talk for a second about how, just how ice cold and terrifying Kiefer Sutherland is in this movie? I mean, yeah. second only to yeah. The Lost Boys. Like, and I think this was maybe his first, his first major yeah, first major film, and or maybe it's most of their first favorite first feature films. But man, he is just terrifying. Like I was scared. Like you watch this in the dull. I'm like, this dude is scary as hell, yeah. man. He was definitely yeah. a character I hated when yeah. I was younger. Yeah. You definitely wanted to get yeah. his comeuppance, but he was also like I said, that Kiefer Sutherland's gang. What a bunch of dicks. They just like yeah. just <laughs> sit around about like just carving shit into each other's arms. And then just smashing, like committing yeah. many federal crimes as they smash every mailbox. Then running a truck off the road as well, like all while drinking yeah. and driving and everything. I'm like, yeah, you sound cool as hell. What are you talking about, man? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the real stars of this movie. Give me that. Give me the movie from their perspective. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's it's very kind of like a very 80s movie um, yeah. in the way that even though it's not set in the 80s, 
the parents are very 80s parents because they don't give a shit about their kids and the kids go yeah. on an adventure. I mean, I did crap like that in the 80s, you know, not to go to see dead bodies. But yeah, mom, into the mom, I'm going forest. to look for a dead body. All right, be home for dinner. Okay, but yeah. it, it maybe be home for dinner. Um, but yeah, so so starts like, you know, let's go a little bit with the plot is that the, they all sort of pack up. Um, they get their, their sleeping bags or whatever and they have this like, it's a 20, 30 mile walk. Um, to get where this kid is. And they start sort of like basically following the train tracks. So the train tracks is very much kind of like the track that the movie follows uh, mm-hmm. at the same time. And it just, it it is always reflective of the trauma that they've been through. You see those moments with Corey Feldman, the way he reacts to his dad being called a loser and how he's mm-hmm. obsessed with the military and how his dad stormed the beaches of Normandy. You know, he's got yeah. this whole thing but then he's walking around with this burnt ear because his dad burnt his ear so you got one dad burnt the ear off one kid then you've got the other dad ignoring will wheaton because his favorite brother died and even said it should have been you you got river phoenix who's the son of a complete scumbag and the brother of a complete scumbag as well and then jerry o'connell whose only thing in the movie is that you know i'm the fat kid he's not even he's just husky no. You know I mean? yeah. 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 No, as a as a fat kid, I was like, all right, come on now. This is <laughs> too serious. This is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> but I will say Jerry O'Connell is very funny. I didn't he's great. remember how funny he was in this movie. My favorite bit being the bit where he's got the gun and there's every sound is like it's a butterfly and then there's like an yeah. insect is, and it's like <laughs> I see why he's so yeah. good in Lower Decks. He's the, in Star the, Trek Lower Decks. The fun. casting for this, like yeah. selecting those four kids was, I mean, must have been an insurmountable feat. Like I can't, it's it's so, like second only Goonies. It's such an iconic, I mean, to me at least, it's such an iconic like coming of age tale for these young boys. And they're all so, the, the chemistry they all have together. I mean, River Phoenix, come on. Like, yeah, it's he's unbelievable. He's so charismatic, isn't he? Yeah. He seems yeah. so mature in his acting and it kind of like comes across. But it's funny, I was actually reading a little bit um, before you guys came on. It was how like Rob Reiner kind of took them away for a couple of weeks and did this sort of like classic, you know, theatrical thing of just got, getting the kids together and doing all these activities and these warm ups and these acting yeah. sort of workshops that they were saying like after a couple of weeks, they were just tight. You know, even Will Wheaton right. was quoted as saying, you know, anytime you see in the movie that we're just like throwing out and being hanging out is because we are. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. so I think he kind of brought that element of reality yeah. to the group. Yeah, I think while they were filming too, they were like they were hanging out in that local town with like kids their age and really just immersing themselves in that in that kind of culture and just being kids about it. You know, yeah, it's <laughs> forget the that they're thing, actual kids. <laughs> yeah, it's the kind of thing like at that age, even if you're like a seasoned child actor, like Corey Feldman had been in a few movies like Friday the Thirteenth Part Four, classic film. Sure, um, yeah. but uh, you can't really fake that kind of camaraderie. Like, so I think that was really smart on Rob Reiner's part to be like, yeah. the, the kids can only act so well at a certain point. Some of it has to be real. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. that's definitely true, I think, for Will Wheaton's character, because um, just reading Will Wheaton's like biography and seeing all the discussions about him and all the interviews with him, he had a really tough like home life in real life. So I think he's bringing a lot of that to the character. There's a lot yeah. of his performance that feels very honest. Oh, yeah. When he has that emotional breakdown, like, because I think he, even Carl or Carl, Carl, Carl Reiner, Rob Reiner said, like, you know, let's take that again, but like really dig into your own actual emotional trauma and let's see what we can pull out of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, then, like, speaking of like the trauma is, is, is this is very much a sort of Stephen King sort of almost yeah. autobiographical 
uh, approach. Um, you know, he says he's, he's also quoted as saying this is one of the few it's things that Stephen thing. King has actually said he likes the adaptation of. He says, of, yeah. in reference to something I've ever written, this is the most accurate. And then he's like, yeah. it affected him as well. Because he felt like he was in Will Wheaton's character. He felt that very much. Yeah. Rob Reiner as well identifies with that character. So yeah. I think like the fact that you've got the actor, the director, the writer, all kind of coming from this similar sort of trauma and going on a similar journey really mm-hmm. brings... I mean, that's things like Will yeah. Wheaton, you think of everybody, like you'd think he would have blown up bigger. And I know he was Wesley and stuff like that on Next Generation. So Star Trek nerds like me and Will, like he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. But it's just, he had such an amazing, like, as a young actor, like, you remember he turned up, what was that one we were talking about the other day, the private school where the terrorists turn up? Oh, um, um, Toy Soldiers. Yeah, Toy Soldiers. He's yeah. great. That's great right, Toy Soldiers too. as yeah. well. I love that movie. So good. <laughs> it's like taking Stand By Me and the Goonies and mixing it up with a little bit of terrorism and throwing yeah. it out there. Great movie. Set, set at the school where they filmed Major Pain. <laughs> yes, yes, they did. <laughs> and I think we loved that movie, like, because that school looked just like my boarding school. My boarding school yeah. was very similar to that, like 130 acres and stuff like that. So you're kind of watching in boarding school going, yeah, yeah, we could take the terrorists. Yeah. Yeah. When you, when you tell, re- regale me of your tales of boarding school, that's the mental image I have is like Ollie and toy soldiers. Oh, that's good. That's pretty accurate <laughs> yeah. then. That's a very accurate and you, representation. And you probably wouldn't be the first to go. So that's, that says a lot. <laughs> I'd be so I definitely would. <laughs> well, I'm out. <laughs> but like, um, yeah, so there's a little bit, again, we'll do a little, I just for anyone that hasn't watched the movie. So the, the sort of the subplot is it's a race to the dead body between the young mm. gang of four boys and the older sort of teenage gang of a dozen just scumbags. And it's like, I don't know why, but they're like, this is it, guys. If we find the body and they're always like, we'll be heroes. We'll be on the radio. We'll be on television. This is going to yeah. be our key, our way out of this small town. And it's sort of like, yeah. it's such a small movie with very low stakes. But it tells tells it very grandly, doesn't it? If you and if you think of the plot like out of context the whole time I'm watching this, I'm like, what are they gonna do with this dead body? What's their what's their goal right. here? They're like to bring it back? Like what? Yeah. What no, it's it's one of the most insane. Like, yeah. What are they gonna do? It's like, no, they're they're literally fighting over who gets the dead body. It's <laughs> nuts. Yeah, it's one of the most insane like ways to start a film because you know, I just rem- like if I was that age. So I was like, do you want to see a dead body? I'd be like, no, credits. <laughs> like that's, that'd be the ask me thing. now. But <laughs> ask me now. Right? Well, now, yeah, yeah. yeah. How dead were we talking here? <laughs> yeah. What kind of dead? Yeah. How fresh? Can I make, can it be content for my TikTok? You know, yeah. okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> like that bad boy two, bad boys two dead person? Yeah. Yeah. And then oh, yeah. Not, to, not to jump ahead, but like when they actually get to the dead body, like it's such a, anticlimactic like they're just walking on the railroad and like oh shit there it is and they yeah. go down and like and the kid was hit by a train he would have been fucking obliterated <laughs> yeah he's just kind of off to the side and lost his shoes and it's a, it was just it's a crazy moving like yeah. like steam train as well yeah. i mean like kid no. i mean there were no noise canceling headphones back then no. how this kid got hit by a train i i'm flummoxed it's like he just then you, get Richard, then you get Richard Dreyfus doing the narration, explaining what happened. And you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, it's not like the train. The train can't surprise you. It can't come out yeah. of the woods. And you're like, oh no, a train. Like, <laughs> right. it, it, yeah. there are literally tracks that tells you yeah. where it's going to be. Yeah, yeah it came out of nowhere. It's crazy. Again, that was, when I was younger, all of it made perfect sense. But now as I'm watching yeah. this older, I'm like, this logistically seems, because it's only like, <laughs> like Kiefer Sutherland and his gang get there almost immediately. Yeah, because they have yeah. cars. 
which I'm like, <laughs> how like it, it's so crazy. And like they've been looking for this body for so long. No one in town knows about it or has found it. The police are nowhere to be seen. Yeah. And yet, and yet these four young child children find this dead body slightly askew off of these railroad tracks. It's nuts. <laughs> it's, I'm not trying to poke holes, but uh, it's a little, it's a little Swiss well, cheesy. No, poke, poke holes. Because I'll tell you what, <laughs> on this rewatch, like I, I was about 20 minutes in, and I'm sort of going, man, some of these line readings are weird. You know, mm-hmm. some of this, like just the, the some of the script is just strange. I'm like, this is a really. Like, so I was texting guys. This is a really weird movie. Yeah. It's kind yeah, of a strange mm-hmm. experience. And then, like I said, being done as a flashback with a kind of comedic element, with a kind of traumatic element. Rob Ryan is like, you know, it says it's his favorite movie he's ever directed, but, and it's regarded as a, like an all round, like banging classic. Yeah. But like, as I'm watching it again, I did find it just weird. It is a kind of weird movie. But it's got that, it's weird in that Stephen King kind of way, but I'm not sure how much of that short story was adapted into this film, you know, I'm, mm. or like how much they expanded upon it. But I, it, it weird in the sense like, yeah, it is also a pretty fucking weird movie about a, about childhood trauma you know yeah i guess all of stephen king's short stories kind of are except, they're all except, about except for <laughs> sleepwalkers <laughs> that movie i remember i still that is a movie we have to figure out where that was shot because we have to talk about that movie because probably that is the in weirdest. maine somewhere yeah well they're all maine right <laughs> yeah. that, that if you've never like people at oh, home God. if you've never never seen or heard of sleepwalkers google it and you're going to yeah. see a, a cast that you're like what like that's insane like an insane cast yeah. crazy budget and then when you get into it it's about was it shit weasels that, that you know something that goes up your butt and controls you or kills you oh I that's see. that's Dreamcatcher. oh Dreamcatcher. yeah yeah uh, yeah yeah that's another great. stephen which King is, which is another story about childhood drama <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think we might be onto something here folks. <laughs> this guy this guy yeah, he's pretty good he's, he's, he's up yeah yeah he knows he's good at but anyway, yeah, not to get sidetracked as we often do. Sorry, what was this movie about? <laughs> Standing it's, by about it's about how weird Stephen King is. But That's I, what the uh, I think I think the movie isn't so much about them finding the dead body. It's the no. discovery of themselves, obviously, along the way, and you know, getting closer to one another. Because I think Will Wheaton, he's supposed to go off to some different school and he's has to leave his friends behind and he gets into this whole argument with river phoenix he's like no we're, we're dragging you down and he doesn't feel like he's like fucking i'm not going to be a writer spoiler he becomes a writer and writes this movie essentially yeah and then he's a stephen, hunting. Yeah, he's a he's steve, a, yeah, he, yeah he's a stephen king protagonist yeah. so of course he's a writer he grows you up know. to be richard dreyfus obviously yeah <laughs> well, every every like, stephen king protagonist is a writer and it does right. the inciting incident, actually. Right at the beginning, the movie starts with Richard Dreyfuss looking like with a thousand-yard stare, and you get a quick shot of the newspaper that says, Lawyer Chris, what's his face, fatally stabbed. That being River Phoenix's character. So it kind of, right. I mean, it spoils the ending for you. It you doesn't spoil it, well. but if you know what I mean, it, goes, it lets you know that Chris is going to end up redeemed because you know he becomes a lawyer. Yeah. You know, kind mm-hmm. of the ending of it as well is very bittersweet because you get back... And he goes, I never really saw these two again, like Jerry O'Connell and uh, Corey Feldman. He went to prison and uh, Chris, he became a lawyer, but he just died. So anyway, at the end, stand by me. Yeah. Stand by me. <laughs> this movie this movie's also yeah. <laughs> almost note for note exactly the same plot as The Sandlot, except instead of playing baseball, they look for a dead body. That's you know, you've got the narration. Dog. You've got the kid that kind of looks like Will Wheaton. Uh, yeah. You've got yeah. like... 
James Earl Jones? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounded better in my head, but. No, that was pretty spot on. I was just thinking about how, like, um, I remember seeing The Sandlot on a plane um, when it came out, but it was internationally called The Sandlot Kids because none of us know what a sandlot is. We're like, just a yeah, big I, area of sand. We play baseball on it. That's, a, What's that's baseball? exactly what it sounds like. Yeah, yeah it's kind of in the name. It's like cricket for assholes. <laughs> <laughs> So cricket. It's, it's like cricket, but somehow longer <laughs> and more boring. It was also kind of like really interesting that the music twice very subtly hints at Stand By Me and then doesn't play it until the very end. But it ended up kind of bringing the song back. You know, yeah. it recharted. I think it got to number nine or something like that after making it to and number four back. And I think they made back. some really weird music video for it, which is bizarre. Did they like they're all in a studio the studio singing live. Yeah. Oh, they're all like, I think they're in a studio singing it together. It's strange. They bring the they puppet, they puppet the dead body out. <laughs> Full weekend at Bernie style. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Playing the piano. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, when, what did you guys just think like on on this rewatch? Was it like you remembered? Was it different for you guys like it was for me? You know, I'm just trying, I'm interested because it, uh, it hit strange. Uh, I remember when I was younger that the um the flashback like him telling the story about lardass and the the blueberry pie scene was so much more gross and like disgusting when i was a kid and now it was just kind of funny i don't know why it traumatized yeah. me because it was the color and everything and also why was everyone in the crowd throwing up blueberry pie like it's just <laughs> strange, like, <laughs> like through osmosis it was weird but the i will say the the scene with the leeches still yeah fuck yeah like when it cuts to him looking at his underwear and he's got, oh my God, that was just still, I can't go into like, when I went to summer camp, this was like, I mentioned this um, when we did um, Ferris Bueller. This was one of those movies they showed us on a rainy day at that summer camp. And again, we were all like that same age and we were up in Pennsylvania. So the the scenery was very similar. I'm like, and we had to swim in a lake. I'm like, I'm not fucking going in there, man. There's beaches in there. <laughs> so that, yeah. Yeah, now I do leech therapy all the time. It's not a problem. But. <laughs> sure. A good bloodletting. Everyone needs a good, a, a lovely bit of bloodletting, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, I think the most famous scene um, being the uh, the train scene. Um, yeah. You know, the train bridge, you've watched no, like, it. It's oof. a classic. It's like, um, you know, I'm watching that and it's like, you know, I think that's the one bit I think I was looking into that actually was shot in California, but that's like, you know, doesn't really matter. But the... Yeah. Sort of the nature of that bridge is scary, man. If I was oh, yeah. with like the gaps in between, that would be scary. So like the shot, it's shot really well. The train turns up. They use a very clever, you know, with the focal length. Insane. To make yeah. it look closer. And then only once did I spot, you know, because they, they used four short female um, stunt people to uh, to do like the actual stunt. But oh, like, only notice. one shot at the end that you can tell it's almost like a... They all have long it, hair. It's just not quite right. It's not quite the right build of like it's, as they're running away from it. It still worked for me though. Like, you know, we, we talk about like building tension, you know, we always go to that, like I always go to that Sicario scene, but I, I, I never thought about that here, but you have really have that buildup before they even get on the tracks. Well, we can get down and he feels the railroad track just to check for vibrations, but at no point does he see the, the plumes yeah. of, of right. steam of smoke coming out and then they they're like casually walking across and they're having the thing and then um uh, jerry o'connell's character drops the comb and he gets stuck the comb. that was like, so oh funny that's God. right but I they did that. such a good job like building up that tension even before that you have um cory feldman's character 
like trying to defiantly stand in front of the train is like, I'm going to jump off. Like, so it was just all of the building up for that. was such a great scene. And I know it was traumatic for those kids to even film. Right. I mean, Carl Reiner or Carl, God damn it. Rob Reiner is like <laughs> screaming at these kids, like run faster, run faster, run faster. And really like they were I, just as we were, I'm sure they were traumatized. Well, funny enough, I was reading an anecdote about that particular bit and how like, um, you know, Rob was trying to get them to run. Um, and it wasn't so much because they weren't feeling in any danger because the train again was further away than it seemed. Um, that he was like, look, the train's not who you need to be worried about. It's about that crew that's having to push that dolly and you're not doing it fast enough. And you see how tired they are. You should be afraid of them. And that's what scared yeah. them enough to get them running fast enough. Don't piss off the crew. Yeah. You hear that child actors? You got it too easy these days. <laughs> Never make the key grips mad. That's the no, biggest rule on yeah. set. Yeah, yeah, that's the key. The number one rule right there. Um, so the movie was like, it was like an $8 million movie. It made 50 million. It, it got, it's like reviewed huge. You yeah. know what I mean? It's got such a great reputation and it's just, I think, is it the 2023 lens that we've been doing this on a few movies? That I watch it and I go, man, this is messed up. You know what I mean? It used to be just movies that we'd watch and I go, this is a story that we're telling. This is like, listen to how these kids talk to each other. Listen to how these people mm -hmm. talk to their kids. And I was like, this is a movie we should talk more about being really fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, I mean, it's, go, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I, I was just going to say that, I, you know, I think maybe I saw this when I was a little bit older because I it wasn't that drastic. My view on this movie didn't shift that drastically on this rewatch. Um, I always kind of thought of it as like, you know, a a much lighter Stephen King like movie adaptation for sure. But also it's got that darkness. It's got that realness. It's it's very much how kids do talk to each other, yeah. even though some of their, their lines are kind of strange, but mm. the tone and the type of insults they throw at each other, it felt very, very real. And it's actually something that I, I have an issue with with Goonies and when the kids talk to each other. I think this movie nails it better. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I did yeah, like the little joke. It's like, a, you know, what is it? Richard Dreyfuss says is like a, a lot of uh, respect was given to ways to insult each other's mothers kind of thing. Like it was particularly yeah. good <laughs> yeah. if you could insult yeah. the mother. <laughs> yeah it's not really about insulting the mom it's about how clever is it and like you know how much right. does it rile up the other guy yeah mm -hmm. still is it was yep. a well shot though uh, you know let's yeah. talk about Fantastic. like as a movie it is it is a very pretty pretty movie um using the natural beauty of of oregon very well we do you know just get those those beautiful trees and the you've got the the railway going through the middle of it, you've got moments with the lakes, you've got moments with the mountains and stuff like that. And it does kind of give you that. That's the thing I think that always is in my head is always just those shots of four boys going off on an adventure, which again, I think is because I've misremembered the movie because it's yeah. been so long that it wasn't quite the little fun jaunt that I thought it was. It's, it was a more of a yeah. trauma movie that I was like, Oh crap. You know? Yeah. And it's interesting to see how much, how much currently, you know, was with that style is like cribbed from this movie, like you, whether it's a Stranger Things or something like that, where you have like mm -hmm. young teen, young kids up against up something bigger. It's usually pulled from this as like a source material, you know? Yeah. I was just looking that, into the cinematographer. He's uh, done a lot of television, actually, did a lot of West Wing, which is interesting. Yeah. Studio 60 at the Sunset Strip. 
stuff like that. But yeah, I thought, I thought it was a solid, solidly shot movie. I just almost, I think what it was at times, I just felt dialogue didn't feel real to me. Yeah. You know, it felt like I was watching a film, if that makes any sense to you. But I felt no. like I was watching a film as opposed to like, this is how things would actually happen or how things would go down. It was just... Well, uh, you yeah. got to remember, it's Richard Dreyfus telling the story, too. So you're almost watching it through his recollection of the mm. tale. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a solid movie. But like, I, I kind of want to I want to move on to the, the lighthearted um, version of Stand By Me, which Pig. is... <laughs> Pig. Pig. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is 1985's Goonies. Uh, the Goonies... Um, directed by Richard Donner, who famously directed uh, Superman. It's story by Steven Spielberg, who at the time could, you know, just his name added to anything meant, okay, people wanted to watch it, with a script written by Christopher Columbus, the guy that goes on to make things like Home Alone and the first couple of uh, Harry Potter movies. You've got Sean Astin, um, Josh Brolin, Corey Feldman, all the guys, honestly. There's a just a fantastic cast. This is the movie, I think, of all movies... Um, that I've definitely seen the most. I, yeah. I would wa- watch this movie religiously on mm. the VHS that I recorded off television one Christmas. You know, you'd jump up and you'd press pause when the commercials came on and you'd run up and you'd press play once again so you could did it. I, I swear I almost wore that VHS out. I yeah. think it's one of the movies I care about more than any other movie. And I, it's one of those movies I consider a perfect movie. What do you guys think about the Goonies? Yeah, and it's so funny comparing going from Stand By Me to this. It's funny how structurally similar the two movies are in a weird way. I didn't think of that going into this, but it just happened to work out that way. But because and and both of them do feel like very Spielbergian, if you will, even Stand By Me does a bit. Um, But man, this is just like Ferris Bueller. This is such a comfort like I could watch this anytime and I hadn't seen it forever and just throwing it on like the opening of that movie with the jailbreak and they, mm-hmm. they just, all of the, um, all of the geography of the town and all of the characters, it's, it's so masterfully executed. Yeah. Like you can, it, it, you're, you're right. It is a absolutely perfect movie. I use, I use the opening scene, I think as an example of absolute perfect filmmaking and setting the scene for exactly like you said, the town we live in, all of the characters, they only get 10 seconds, but you figure out each of those characters in 10 seconds, like oh, who they are, what they are, why they're doing it, what their gimmick is. It's all there. And I'm like, I'm watching it. And I think I mentioned it during, I think, same thing, Ferris Bueller's episode, but I'd always wanted to introduce that movie to my son. And you know that my son is notoriously not very cool with watching movies. He doesn't really like them. He has to sort of slowly warm up to them and see them a couple of times. We went to the Alamo Draft House for a movie party, The Goonies. I hadn't seen it on the big screen ever. And I remember looking over because he's sitting next to me and we're halfway through the scene. You know, it's mouths getting like the water spraying up into his face. And my son is sitting on the edge of his seat, bright eyed, leaning forward and laughing. And I go, look at that. See, it's just, it's a movie that just works. Yeah, just it's a timeless piece. Yeah, it's timeless. It's it's absolutely timeless. And again, another movie where like a lot, a lot of modern things where it's about young kids getting on an adventure is pulled like directly from this. Like there's a reason every character in Stranger Things is an amalgam of all of these characters, you know? Yeah. yeah. Now, so, okay. So that's your guys' experience watching this. Get this. I didn't see this movie until I was 27 wild that's this this and a christmas story are for some reason (laughs) two movies that completely passed me by as a kid 
Now, Goonies, I had heard a lot of references to. So, like, through, like, cultural osmosis, sure. I kind of right. knew the movie. Right. But I had never sat down to see it. So when I finally watched it, I liked it. I wasn't in love with it. I yeah. wasn't like, oh, this movie's incredible. So I've only seen this film a couple times. Uh, and I think it's good, but it does not have the hold on me you, that it does you, other people. You bring up age. a good point, And I was wondering about this because I think with such a cultural impact that this movie had at that time, watching it. Um, and again, we, I think we talked about this in Ferris Bueller, like watching this movie again with like for the first time, like it's, but it's in beat, like it's in everyone's DNA through some form of osmosis. Like you said, people could mis misconstrue this film as like overrated or something. And I was worried mm -hmm. that even watching it again, I would, I would even feel that I'm like, ah, maybe I just built it up in my head or I've seen it so many times, but I don't think that applies at all. I think it still no. holds up and it's an absolutely fun time. Like it was when I was a kid, it was, and this is another one I watched at summer camp. And uh, it was like this movie and, monster squad and the lost boys like just those like because i was of that age so yeah it just made a lasting impression on me yeah it's I funny was, that Mon monster squad is when i saw like yeah, like way yeah. early on and i was like yeah. this movie rules and this yeah. one i didn't see until i was like way yeah. too adult not enough nards man so that, see that's nards. interesting like will really because like because yeah. i'm kind of i'm very much like ryan of i watched that movie and it's i i'm smiling from the very beginning till the very end I'm, I know all the musical cues. I know everything. I, I think it's like I said, it just gets straight to the point. You never even just question the, uh, the, the map that's upstairs, you know, in the attic. Yeah. You, know, you just you <laughs> automatically just get that this whole group hang out together. You've just got so much comedy, so much comedy that just pays off constantly. You've got, yeah. You've got data with a 007 thing coming in through the window. You've got the smashing of the the, the statue of David and then <laughs> gluing it back on. It's my mom's most favorite piece. Yeah. It's just like <laughs> all these gags that are happening. The joke with Mouth who can speak Spanish. Oh my like, God. Great. You know, giving her the briefing as a kid, you're just going, what are they talking about? The they weed goes here, the coke goes yeah. here, the speed Siempre goes here. The always, always <laughs> every year does. Great. He's so good. He's so good. I mean, yeah. no, everyone is firing on all cylinders in this cast. It's, it's such a great uh, ensemble. Like, every, just everyone is great, you know. There's, um, no, there's no weak points in this movie. There is not a single weak point. I mean, the, the Fratellis, we've got Joey Pants. Joey Pants. Yeah. <laughs> like, Future police chief of Miami. <laughs> um, and but, uh and robert davi who's like yeah great whenever he shows up a little bit of a weirdo nowadays but yeah. um, especially from, back then from maniac cop no wait that's, <laughs> is that it i don't think and so. then you you've got mama from throw mama from the train that's the only two that, things i've that, ever known her from that is what i think of whenever i see that actress so like to the, the point only where two things but my dad and I just every once in a while will be like, Owen. like oh, Ash. my God. It's incredible. That's such a fantastic. Uh, yeah. Anne Ramsey. Uh, God rest her soul. Um, yeah, she was so great um, as a bad guy. They're such great bad guys. Um, I don't even know like where to begin with this movie. Oh, I do. We should probably tell people the plot in case they're like, well, and they've never seen the movie. All right. Really quickly. There's a whole group of kids that all hang out uh, in this town of Astoria in Oregon. Uh, it's shot on location in Astoria. Um, you can go and still see the house that the, that he lived in. And apparently the jail that they escaped from is now the, the museum, the movie museum, which oh, is cool. Awesome. So you can go to the jail. That's yeah. dope. So, um, basically the long and the short of it is the guys, they call themselves the Goonies. And it turns out that the, uh, the one percenters in town are basically trying to buy all of their childhood homes to build a golf, 
uh, a golf course and the parents are trying to fight it, but they don't have the money. And so they find a treasure map because his dad works in the museum or something like that. And it has information about this rumor that everyone's heard about One-Eyed Willie, the, the pirate, that there's a pirate treasure somewhere. People have gone looking for it. Chester Copperpot, he's a Great. famous guy. They went looking for it. And the guys find basically this little, what would you call it? Look at the boom, but not at the boom. Um, yeah. And it just leads them on this treasure hunt, which as they're on it, they come across the Fratellis who broke out of prison earlier in the movie. And that's the inciting incident that kicks it all off. And it is just a treasure of an adventure. It's kids being by themselves. They're riding around in their BMXs, just like we were when we were at that age. They're just going off on the adventure. And it's, it's, and then they add in the most random sort of plot point that you think would just derail most movies that the Fratellis have a mutant brother <laughs> called <laughs> the deformed <laughs> abuse. We've got abuse in this movie mm -hmm. as well. Um, who sort of like befriends Chunk, who's, yeah. who's, I what are, do they ever like explicitly state what his maladies are? He's just kind of well, a mongoloid creature. The mom well, no, says she like, she dropped him twice, yeah. right? Mom, yeah. Mom <laughs> dropped him because she's like, when the bow breaks, the cradle will fall. Break! Fall! Oh, God. It's like, oh, you're just a terrible mother. You just yeah. dropped me well, on my head too many times. Throw her off a train. Yeah. But <laughs> it doesn't explain his, his superhuman abilities. It's just, well, he likes, he likes Superman and he's super strong. Right, There's so right. many, you were, I think we were talking about one of these movies previously, but about how many things like from this movie that I say still to this day, you know, just like anytime I'm in an Italian restaurant, I'm like, what do you want? I want a veal scalpini. You know, <laughs> I just immediately start doing like my missus and I will be saying, and it will say, oh, it's this. And some, she'll go, no, it's not. That's not, you know, like it's just like data saying, oh, these are phony, phony bills because they discovered that printing press. I mean, there's so many things to this movie. The the issue, the one thing that never made sense to me is at the very beginning of the movie, when when um, Chunk comes over, they've got this really elaborate Rube Goldberg machine that does all this to like open a gate. Like, does they have to do that? Do they have to reset that up every time someone yeah. comes over. It's really tricky. <laughs> but when I was a kid, I was like, holy shit, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. I need that. <laughs> Also, what See, is a Rube Goldberg machine? <laughs> See, that might have also contributed to like why I didn't bother seeking out this movie as a kid because I hated Chunk. Being a fat kid, I hated Chunk. Like that was something that was like, you know, I, I wasn't like bullied as a kid, but it was definitely used to like on fat kids. And uh, that was a character that was referenced quite a lot. So I kind of grew up being like, Chunk, go to hell. It sucks. Mm. You know, so like, that probably contributed. Shot. But you got yeah. back at them by entering an all-you-can-eat pie-eating contest? <laughs> and and Drinking a bottle would... of castor oil? And now... <laughs> and and now well played. Well played. <laughs> got my revenge on that small town. <laughs> it's, um... Like, the, the beauty of this movie, it just, it feels like when they go underground and they're, you know, they, they're setting off the booty traps. Booty traps? Booty, that's what I said! Booty traps! God! Um, but, like, you know, the, those things that are being set off, that the, the tension, the, the, the heavy weights that are dropping down. Um, you, you, the thing is, you, as a kid, you believe that these kids could do it. Because they kind mm -hmm. of, like, 
you know, they accidentally, they discover things. They've got a, the combination of them. They've got the stronger older brother. So you kind of believe that you've got data with all his like gadgets. So you can figure it out that yeah. you, you genuinely believe you're on this adventure and you don't find it ridiculous. You're like, no, no, these kids could do this. We could do this. This all feels need, legit. All you need at the very beginning of this movie is like a cutaway shot of one kid saying, I'm putting together a team. And then it just, <laughs> and then it intros every single one of these characters with all of their abilities Mm-hmm. You, you know they've all seen Raiders of the Lost Ark because it's it has to have lived in that kind of that that realm for them, and mm-hmm. they're like, I mean, it's it's perfect. I love it. Is when you say that, I mean, considering it's a Spielberg story, it is a very Indiana Jonesian movie, isn't it? It's yeah. like young mm-hmm. Indiana Jones team, you know, yeah. they yeah. get up on that adventure and they did. It just looks great. It's just so often. The production design, like that bit where they've gone to the little boys' room and the little girls' room, you know, and then they, they start walking, and as they walk away, the camera sort of starts sort of pulling back, and it reveals it's you know it's lit up like a like a skull, and you know, they've got their, their flames are going away, just things like that, so just are all throughout this movie, yeah. and it just it it feels so real, and you, you know, in retrospect, again, well, I guess they weren't shooting in caves underground. I guess. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you could have fooled me because yeah. it looks great. Yeah. You, I mean, you're all the set pieces, like even the, the ship they built. Like now you all you mentioned you'd watch this when it was on like broadcast on TV. Are you aware of like the the uns the like the del- not deleted scenes, but the TV cut of this movie had they had like a Kraken or like some kind of they octopus, had the octopus they fight, right? Because that's octopus. the thing that yeah. always pissed me off about this movie, sure, yeah. right? Because I love Data as well. He's like my favorite character. And these kids have just gone on an incredible adventure where they found a treasure uh, thing. They've they found Chester Cobblepot. They've been battling these criminals. They've solved all the problems. They've found a pirate ship that's loaded with all of this stuff. And then the kid lies and goes, oh, the octopus was very scary. And I go, there was no octopus. Yeah. Why would you lie? And then it's because, <laughs> no, Ollie, it was cut out of the film. There was right. an octopus. I'm like, oh. Okay. I think you could find that scene on YouTube and or- I, yeah, I don't, I, the production on it I think is very poor. But well, do it, you know? Do you know about the other less famous but actually more fascinating whole subplot that was cut out directly the by ice cream, Spielberg? The ice, the ice cream shop? No. Is there something like an ice cream shop or something? Like there, that? there is a whole. Yeah, I've, I've seen that one, but like I've seen those okay. clips. But no, there's a whole whole scene that because Donna was kind of didn't want it in, but didn't want to say no to Spielberg. Spielberg shot it all around the studio in, in California, but there was a subplot of three gorillas escaping oh, yes. from the zoo. Oh my god. And then stealing the, the rich kid's car and going off on a on a joyride. So as this movie was happening, every few, you know, every 20 minutes or so you'd be cutting back to this gorilla subplot. And right. Donna did it in such a way that, oh, it's done. It's shot but oh we don't have the time to put it into the movie so basically it was richard donner just fobbed off steven spielberg and spielberg was like convinced this was going to be really funny yeah but like it's just one of those things like you could find that as well that it sounds like it sounds like it'd be an insane like beastie boys music video it's just such a ridiculous thing (laughs) and yeah i think you're right you can watch they're like driving around police cars something it's so bizarre and in the context of this movie there's no way it could have possibly worked but <laughs> there, there's like an element to this film where it it could have very easily gone too far into like crazy fantasy. Like as it is right now, I think it's the perfect amount of like heightened reality. It's just silly and cartoony enough mm-hmm. to where you still buy it. Things like the octopus and the gorilla. I think that would have pushed the movie too yeah. far like that. I think that would have broken the film. 
But if you want that, definitely go see Monster Squad because that's basically what this is. <laughs> yes, and it it's rules. So, yeah, it's so good. <laughs> that would be also. I feel bad, but I've never seen Monster Squad. <laughs> oh, it's good, man. Yeah, you, where does it take place? Does it, what if does I stay- told you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where it takes place, but it's basically the cast of the Goonies with also Frankenstein, the Wolfman, Dracula, and... Uh, the creature from the Black Lagoon. That's it, yeah. The mummy. The and, yeah, yeah, yeah it, it rules. It's like exactly yeah. what you want to see as a kid. It's like, oh, kids yeah. fight the Universal movie monsters? It's like, yeah. say no more. That's all I want. Great, and the, the, I'm, I'm, I might be remembering it through Rose Glass, but that, I remember that movie being like very scary when I was younger, too. Like it's... <laughs> oh, yeah. Like the creature effects, it, it's dark, dude. It's dark. Dude, the but, creature from the Black Lagoon is still like yeah, no, really yeah. disturbing. Uh, yeah. No, it rules. And well, yeah. the kids curse a lot. It should, I think it was a great yeah. PG. Someone paid somebody off the MPA. I'm going to watch that right after we, <laughs> right after we finish recording. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to watch that. Oh, it rules like, so hard. Going a little bit in the similar yeah. vein then, because uh, um, the banter between the kids, I love the banter. Will, you were saying you felt like Stand By Me was better. And I'm going to say, hell no. I'm going to say Goonies is better. <laughs> but, but what I was also going to touch on is that this is very 80s as well, as it involves, you know, um, uh, bullet holes it involves mm-hmm. a dead the stiff it's a stiff I love the way it's like <laughs> we've got a dead body that bit where Chunk gets locked in the in the freezer and <laughs> I mean yeah. that guy Chunk is Jeff Cohen oh my God. His, name. his comedy is he's amazing it's like the bit he's, where he goes I, I love the duck I love the duck but I hate nature I hate he's, nature he's, he's somehow both Abbott and Costello and the Three Stooges rolled into one character <laughs> yeah. and, and it's gonna, and it works man he's so he's it's great. He's like, got his I own was, subplot. I was worried too. I'm like, oh, these same thing with Dumb and Dumb. I was like, oh, these a lot of these jokes probably aren't going to land, or it's not going to feel the same because I'm not a kid anymore. But no, I, I, I had an absolute blast watching this. Like you said, like I had a smile on my face the whole time. I remember because I had the um, TV recorded, so I had the TV edit of mm-hmm. of the movie. Mm-hmm. So the one I saw the most as a kid is actually not the the proper movie. The one part that's very much sort of affected is um, where Chunk is being tortured. Um, by they're, they're putting, you know, they've got a blender and they're putting all these tomatoes in and then they, they've got his hand in the blender kind of thing. And it, oh, yeah. It longer because in the version I had, sort of like it cuts to Mama Fratelli just going, hit puree. And then immediately as they hit the button, all of the bats fly out. So it just cuts like that. Oh, nice. It, it's actually just the tension and you're seeing it. And it's like, I think very much it was the, we don't want kids to put their fingers in, in blenders. And I'm like, yeah. right. what about this scene would make a kid want to put their finger in blenders? This is a pretty fucked up scene. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how Batman was created. <laughs> <laughs> that's his real origin. But then, I, yeah, I, I love that scene because I uh, Robert Davi during that scene like oh. cracks me up because he is just dying of laughter at all these confessions and just you see <laughs> yeah. it turn he's like I like oh, this like, kid like I don't yeah. know how that's a great that scene when it cuts back <laughs> and he goes you want to tell us everything 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 when I was five it, and it, it cuts back it's still good you're right Robert Darby's face is amazing he's Joey Pantalona looks exhausted and he's telling the story about this one time and he threw up and I'm like it's it's one of my favorite parts of the movie like I said like Chunk I get exactly where you were coming from Will like as far as like your resistance to watching the movie but it's like he gets so many great moments in the movie he has all the so best lines comedy. yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> for sure it's almost like a mini bottle episode where it's like characters you'd normally never see together kind of right. put into these extenuating circumstances. And it just, the comedic effect is on full display. And just the things like, 
you know, the band is so good where it's like, you know, uh, Data's like, oh, I know slick shoes. And it's like, slick shoes, are you crazy? It's just that you feel like these kids feel like they actually grew up together. Like, you know, yeah. as tight as the, the Stand By Me guys felt, I felt yeah. that the Goonies was so natural. The way they yeah. were just goofing off with oh, each other, man. walking with their arms around each other and doing all these things that you almost felt like there wasn't a script at times, that they were just, poof, they're just being kids. Yeah, and I remember when I was a kid, like all I wanted to do was I wanted to be Data so bad. I wanted all those gadgets and all that stuff. I was obsessed, and I that's how I injured myself ziplining from a window <laughs> through a screen door. But that's a, that's a story for another podcast. <laughs> I heard you do this podcast just for the zipline. That's what I've, <laughs> I've heard about you. No, no. But um, on top of that, the mood, the music as well. Oh, like, nice, I, nice I, soundtrack from the opening scene. The soundtrack's incredible. Like uh, the the Goonies song, I mean, I have that on my my frequent playlist. It's on my like good night, your, work, your workout mix, dude, for real. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. and again, you know, let's get into sort of like how beautiful it is. Because again, for me, I was like, wow, America's so cool. Like yeah. you've got the, the, when they're biking and you just have that high helicopter shot, and you've got all the trees around it, and kind of like you were saying, Ryan, about the geography of the movie. That there's the bit when they all jump on bikes and they cycle down through the town. Yeah. that Cindy Lauper song is going and you know hi dad hi dad and it just it feels so real because again I think it's it's because it is being shot on location yeah. that they just took over this town they shot it there's nothing about it that feels everything feels lived in everything feels yeah. real and it's like a, it's, it's, a, it's like, a very it's a very wet movie too like you've, you've never been yes. to like Oregon it is just <laughs> it's moist it is moist at all times yeah. it, but it's like if you've ever been to Oregon it's just that's pretty much what the weather is kind of all the time except maybe in the summer, but it's just a on the precipice of rain perpetually. Yeah, 99% humidity, uh, you know, at all times. But then also, like, uh, the design and of of um, that pirate ship. Again, just, oh, so cool. just the, the production value of we built a ship. And so they notoriously kept it hidden from the kids. So the first time they saw it, they were kind of getting it. And... It, Apparently their reaction was too big. They, so yeah. what you're seeing is take two when they're seeing it, but they were so overwhelmed by it that they almost broke character that they were just, holy oh, shit. That's amazing. That? That's the actual pirate <laughs> yeah. ship. Yeah. And now those, get in the water with that octopus. It's like, yeah. <laughs> but look how many wide shots there are in that. You know, mm -hmm. so they've that, that entire sort of like soundstage, you've got the ship, totally built you can go down into it onto it everything you've got water outside so you can jump off that boat into the water it's deep enough that you can yeah. you've got the shots where they're all coming out the different like slides that they've gone down and i'm like it's just um, people nowadays just don't do that no you know so yeah. much of that would be cgi and i'm like it just completely sucks yeah. you in and, and, and again seeing this movie as a as a kid at their age there's nothing more you would have wanted to do than explore that that pirate mm -hmm. ship and just like be immersed in that world. That's why I like, that's why it worked so well for me and still does. I still, it's like, I'm watching this with childlike wonder. I'm like, Oh my God, I remember seeing this and just being blown away by it and wanting to experience like all of these things, even though I all relatably also have asthma, like the main character. So yeah, I hit a little close to home. You know? I like that bit when he's like, who needs it? Like, he throws yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. like my, as a, as a young boy, my favorite little subplot was the bit where he got to kiss Andy like she doesn't realize and she's like, look, I think he was standing in a, 
in a hole, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what happened to your braces? <laughs> All those little jokes. Like I said, this Great. every every setup is paid off. Yeah. Every mm-hmm. every little thing, every sight gag, every moment, every every um sort of character development moment yeah. is paid off as it goes on. Everyone this, grows a yeah. little bit. You know, everybody learns a little something. Everyone becomes a little bit better. And then at the same time, we get to the end and they find all this treasure, which sets off. And it's kind of the, actually, here we go. You're asking that Rube Goldbergian thing to open their thing. That's what Mikey yeah. site built. Well, One-Eyed Willie has built all of these Rube Goldbergian sort of traps yeah. and things yeah. like yeah. that. So it's almost like yeah. he's sort of like a spiritual cousin to One-Eyed Willie. He's like, yeah. that's why he deserves which, it. Can we just say is though just the worst name for a pirate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one-eyed Willie. I was getting the whole time before when I was younger, seeing that never. I never knew the one-eyed Willie reference until I was several years older. But I was giggling like a schoolgirl the whole time watching them, every time they'd say it. <laughs> Dicks. <laughs> Penis. Uh, and it's um when we get to when we get to the pirate ship at this point, then like just as it looks like everything's cool and copacetic and. They're all loading up their pockets. Then we get that nice twist. The Fratellis turn up. Mama Fratelli. The, the, suddenly, its swords were on a pirate ship. And, like, it's great. And they're about to walk the plank. And then who rocks up? It's Chunk. It's, it's um, what's his name? Come on. Sloth. Sloth. Chunk <laughs> Sloth. They do that legendary bit. They get to be the heroes. And you just, again, I'm watching this movie going, even at 42, it's a treasure. It's I'm just a- now I'm just now connecting the sloth wearing the super the Superman yeah. shirt to Richard Donner. Oh, to Richard Donner. Superman. Yeah, <laughs> you can get the Superman theme when he does it. When he tears it off, you get dun, dun, dun. it's like it's all there, man. Did it's- he also do? Did he direct Lethal Weapon? He directed all the Lethal Weapons. Yeah. yeah. So I I remember because when I was watching this, it was like the the mother of the main boys plays. Uh, Riggs's therapist in Lethal yeah. Weapon. I was like, I'm just connecting all the pieces. I'm, I'm on it yeah. today. <laughs> this, this is this has got a few of uh, uh Donner's like stock company of actors, yeah. which is always great. Like so good the people who show up again. But yeah, the, Richard Donner knows how to make a movie, man. Yeah. Like even seeing this like as an adult, just watching it, like man, Richard Donner can just direct yeah. the hell out of a film, man. Mm. Like, I mean, Sean Astin is quoted as saying, is like people are saying that. Richard Donner and Steven Spielberg were very much working as like co-directors. Yeah. Like from mm-hmm. scene to scene at times, like, you know, like I said, that's why they sent Spielberg off to go and do that gorilla stuff. But I think, I really think it's, it's so many people at like the peak of, of just completely on fire coming together at, at one time. And yeah. we've talked about it before. You can just see it in certain movies and it's just like, it's just the right director, the right, the right people, the right actors at the right moment in the right movie. And it just, yeah. Every, it just ticks every single box. I don't think, like I said, the only criticism I ever had was why did Data say that octopus line? Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. But then I also really wanted Domino's pizza by the end of it. Yeah, yeah. That's like trying to go, oh, pizza! <laughs> but that line has now become almost like an Easter egg onto itself because it's like, if you know, you know. But <laughs> yeah. um, this this movie does get get my Edgar Wright award for not a second is wasted. There's, mm-hmm. right. there's no fat on this film. It's just paced perfectly. Like you said, everything is paid off in the end and and it just looks incredible. Well, see, this is the interesting thing, right? Because Goonies is a two-hour movie that flies by with no wasted fat. Stand By Me is an 89-minute movie that felt like a two-hour yeah. movie to me. Yeah. It felt mm-hmm. longer than it was. And like, whereas the Goonies, once it gets started, it just doesn't stop. Yeah. It is it's just... Breezy. 
straight up, always something going on, no wasted time, and you're always oh, yeah. Well, that, that movie's on the gas this from the second it opens. I mean, you're thrust into that world and. Yeah, I'm just so immersed in it, and it's it, it just you're right, it flies by. And I think you know, like I was saying with my son, that it's one of my son's favorite movies. So he very often asks to watch it. And I remember we did um, I did this thing at Right This Minute. So Will and I used to work on this television show, Right This Minute, uh, along with uh, Ryan's Ryan's missus as well. And um, we, I, I was walking around once, and I was kind of talking about like uh, Ghostbusters, Labyrinth, and the Goonies. And I found out that in the studio, everyone had seen two. None of them had seen three, all three of them. Right. Was like, so I set up this movie party that ended up being, I think, the best party we ever had, like, as right this minute, because everybody showed up. We had, like, 60 people in my house. We did three showings of movies, and we did, like, was it Labyrinth at four? We did Ghostbusters at six, and we finished with the Goonies, and oh, we did man. themed food. And I hadn't, I just, I figured, oh, maybe a couple of people would show up for Labyrinth, maybe you like, 10 people. Basically, 40 people turned up at, for the first movie, and it just kept going. But it was the bit where we're in the Goonies, everyone's sitting theater style up my stairs, everyone's put chairs at the back, my son is sitting right at the front, and I'm like, this is what movies are about, man. Yeah. And it's like the magic of this movie, The Goonies, is that you've got everybody from, from a sort of a six-year-old at the time all the way up to the 40-year-olds and 60-year-olds, like, and everyone's like, oh, Goonies? Yeah. yeah, let's do it. Let's put it on. It was, it was magic. And now, and now, all we, the best we can hope for is doing a Zoom watch of Hard Ticket to Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> no themed snacks. Awesome. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I wish I could just broadcast that movie out without being on some kind of wanted list. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the world deserves to see it. Yeah. So, so what's crazy is is a five month shoot for this film. Which is, what? That is wow. I remember the funny thing as well. I remember this is a good story. You can find this on the special features and stuff like that. But, you know, Richard Donner has just spent five months shooting this massive film with a cast of children. Right. Which is just never easy. So he goes to uh, Hawaii. He gets a house in Hawaii to stay for like forever just to chill out. And Spielberg <laughs> pays for the entire cast of kids to fly to Hawaii to crash Richard Donner's sake. Oh my God. Later, you've got this video of Richard, like he's just chilling out and suddenly Sean Astin turns up and then 10 kids just pile in and just fuck with his day. <laughs> it was yes. just like a, ah. That sounds like a movie unto itself. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I think it was, um, they were talking about that and I found some of that video when they did, during the pandemic, they did that Goonies reunion. Yeah. yeah. Josh Gad, that was fantastic. Like I, I ate all those things up. It was so nice to see everyone get back together and start telling stories and stuff like that. But that's a really funny one that I'm like, that as a troll job, like he's there, cocktail in hand, just staring at the beach, and then suddenly, no, we're all here. Hey Rick, how you doing? Let's have some fun. <laughs> that's you can, awesome. Instead of smiling and crying at the same time. <laughs> Mel's just like, I'd rather, there too. I was gonna say he'd like, I'd rather be hanging out with Mel and Hearing all his crazy theories. <laughs> oh man! Um, then, like you know, you look at the sort of the reviews. This is a well-reviewed movie, but nowhere near as well-reviewed as Stand by Me. Um, but it did make. It was a twenty million dollar movie that made one hundred and twenty-five million, which you know, adjusted for inflation, is eight gajillion dollars, I believe, or yeah. something. Like that. Yeah, and no sequel. No sequel to either of them. Yeah. 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 Stand by me too. Still standing. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's because if you if you ask the studio today, uh, they'll they'll tell you like, ah, oh, the Goonies. Yeah, we lost three hundred million dollars on that. You know. Oh well. Who, yeah. You know. 
that's just how it goes. We lost more than we spent, you know. It's like, yeah, David Prowse saying, yeah, Return of the Jedi is still losing money. Yeah, I sort of got, yeah. you know, let, Will's bringing this up in reference to the, the SAG strike and the writer strike that's happening right now. And I am mm-hmm. 100% behind them because it's yep. like, I just, it's, it's messed up that you get guys making $400 million running the company, making 1,000% more than anyone else and still like, we don't have any money. You know, Netflix spending yeah. nine million on content. It's ridiculous. Money. Yes, you bloody do. And these people are going hand to mouth and they're creating your art. You should be bloody paying them. So I'm supporting those guys. That's our little, little rant done. But you're, Silver, yeah. Silver lining, they're not recording podcasts either, those celebrities. So maybe, you know, there's, you know, maybe listen to this one. You know? <laughs> Tell your friends. You know? That's right. So, right. So we've got we've got Stand By Me, this kind of like this adventure sort of movie. We've had The Goonies, which is a movie that never, ever stops. It's just pure fun the whole way through. And then I bought a movie to the table that I just remember hearing about. Now, Nicolas Cage is Nicolas Cage. I mean, I love Nick Cage, but he's definitely been on a run of movies recently, which he says, yeah, I'm trying to pay off that tax bill. <laughs> you know, I spent a lot of money. You know, I bought a lot of Superman issue ones. I named my son Kal-El. Uh, and then I got hit with a massive tax bill. I've been paying that off ever since. But then Pig came out and you heard about Pig. And the reviews were Nicolas Cage's best performance since leaving Las Vegas. Everyone was talking about this movie. And it was, again, during the pandemic. It came out on Hulu. It's still on Hulu, if you haven't seen it. And uh, I banged it on, and it is such a strange movie. And mm. it's beautiful, and it's brilliant, and it is unique, and it is just in so many different ways. I've never seen anything like it. it if you haven't seen the movie at home, the essential plot of it is, is that Nicolas Cage, as far as we know, is a truffle hunter in the Oregon wilderness with his truffle pig. Um, now... You don't really get much. There's not much in the way of dialogue. There's not much in the way of understanding anything. I mean, honestly, in the first 10 minutes of the movie, you could think it was set in the 1800s because he's just Mm. existing in the forest. He's just getting the water. He's getting the truffle pigs. It's only when suddenly like a 2021 like um, Camaro turns up with the young Alex Wolf that you realize, okay, it's set now. Okay, he's selling truffles. Okay. And then the big inciting essence of this movie is it suddenly goes completely John Wick. Some people turn up, they've kidnapped his pig. This guy goes into Oregon, sorry, into Portland to find his pig. Um, and it gets weird. But instead of it being like, you are convinced. Tell me you're like, you know, not convinced by halfway through, which we'll get to that weird moment in the fight club, that you're yeah. convinced the movie is going to end in a certain way. And instead of it being gunplay, it's, um, it's he makes dinner. And it's... Yeah. it's what do you guys think about this movie? Because I think it's, it's the second time I've watched it. I really wanted to watch it again, and I really want to talk about it. That's why I chose it. But I was watching it again going, this movie's really good, but so it's, different. I remember, I remember seeing the trailer for this, and I just want to say, like, I, every one of Neon, like the production company Neon, I'm a, I love all of their films, more so than I think A24, which they, they drop yeah. a few turds here and there. I agree. But, um, I remember seeing the trailer for this for something else, and, and Ali, I know if, God forbid, if you watch a trailer, you just self-immolate. Yeah. But um, I remember seeing this, and I, as I'm sure everyone else did, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's just John Wick with Nicolas Cage. Give me Rage Cage. Yes. And then this movie, like, quietly came out on on Hulu um, after, I don't think it was in theaters for very long. But then I was like, oh, I'll, I'll throw it on. And I was absolutely blown away. I, I agree. This is probably Nicolas Cage's 
the best film ever. This movie single-handedly subverted my expectations every step of the way. I like you were saying, like, yo, you think it's going to go one way and it just really doesn't. And it does it in this really like subtle way. You can tell the director like really respects his audience. Like they don't drip feed you everything. It's, it's up for you to interpret and to figure out. And it's everything on you're unfolding everything. You're deconstructing this movie, much like Nicolas Cage would deconstruct a dish. <laughs> and that's how he like, he disarms all of these people. He deconstructs, like he's got this almost godlike mystic. Like, yeah, people just know him. Like he was, he was a Michelin star chef at this restaurant and he just, decides to leave it for he's gone for 15 years but we don't find that out until basically the end of act two we, like, as far as we know he's just some guy that right. wants his pig back and then you know we say john wickian because it's a guy going out to get his pig back and get revenge but also the way that you see the very first john wick movie that brilliant sort of storytelling sort of thing is uh sir he he, yeah. he killed john wick's dog and stole his car and he goes oh Anytime someone hears his name, they go, oh. And it's the same thing with him that yeah. we don't learn his name until he scrawls it on the wall of the underground chef fight club that apparently happens in Portland, Oregon. Amazing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but everyone's yeah. like, you know, oh my God, it's that guy. It's Robin. It's, uh, yeah, Robin Feld. And he's like, this is a line that he's like, if you're anyone in the restaurant world, <laughs> it's yeah. just, it's such a weird, specific, such a it, Portland thing. Yeah. <laughs> it just works. <laughs> it's ridiculous, but I love it. Yeah, I, th this is a, that's exactly how the film was pitched to me. My buddy, uh, Tom McCoy, who's a filmmaker out in uh, Arizona, he actually worked on the film I worked on. Um, he pitched it to me as, it's John Wick, but he kills you with dishes and kindness instead mm -hmm. of, uh, like, guns. And, uh, yeah, this, this film, it took me by surprise, too. I was waiting for it to get, like, violent. But, you know, the entire time I'm just watching the movie, and it's very slow but deliberately slow and not boring this movie no. it's funny it's funny that you bring up a24 i watched an a24 film yesterday not going to mention the name i don't want to like rag on it too much but pig is a great example of you can be slow you can be methodical um you don't need to rush through your plot you don't need super high stakes but it's engaging the entire time yeah. whereas the other film i saw i was just like watching my watch the entire time just like yeah. all right we wrapped up yet and yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this movie really does take its time, but it, like I said, it respects it respects your time. Like you're, it as it unfolds, you kind of just sit back and be like when, when you're when when the realization of like oh it's not that movie it's something completely different that I've never seen. You're just like re you're re immersed into this and you just you're just experiencing like you would experience like like a um, what do you call it like a tasting menu of some kind right. like a. You know, I, you're just I like, everything's kind of unfolding dish by dish. And I bet the script experience. was only like 10, 10 pen pages long, <laughs> hardly any yeah. dialogue. Nick Cage, fine pick. Yeah. You know, but like, yeah. <laughs> like you're saying is, but what keeps us interested is the, you know, the, the incident mm -hmm. where he wants his pick back, but then it's the drip, drip, drip of who is this guy. Yeah. And then, mm -hmm. and then it can, you know, then it gives that, uh, that hard left of like, we brought it up, but he goes down, he tries to get information from a buddy um, who's like, yeah, but your name is nothing anymore, you know? And it turns out that this guy, for some reason, like the Portland um, chef scene, cuisine scene, um, is a stressful place that they let out their aggression by going underground and um, beating the shit out of each other. Yeah. And so he I mean, like you, they're wearing the waiter, they're waiters out yeah. there. Like they just got cut from their shift and they're like, I got to take and out and some it's aggression. This, yeah, it's this sort of 15 minute fight club sort of um, scene <clears throat> where, and it's, I still don't understand it. 
But like, you know, he goes there and he just takes a beating from a busboy or something. And that guy is like taking out his aggression on him. But it was, that's how he was able to get the information of where's yeah. my pick. Yeah. Um, you know, and then the random sort of like twist to it being is that it was um, Alex Wolf's character. He's great. Um, yeah. yeah. The only other place I'd ever seen him before was in those Jumanji movies. Um, but apparently he's in Oppenheimer, which I haven't seen yet. Um, but like, uh, he's great, but it turns out it's his dad who turns out to be Adam Arkin, who seems to be kind of like just a dangerous rich guy yeah. in some way. Yeah. And it's like, um, and then you've also got like, you know, you, Amir talks about how his mum died from a suicide attempt, but then we also then see she's actually in a coma at a care facility. So he's got his trauma. That's, it's again, all the weird trauma as well. Nick Cage's wife died. We get a hint of that because there's a tape at the beginning that he doesn't listen to. We, but that's what kind of sent him on his spiral. And then, you know, it's, there's an overlap with Adam Ar uh, Arkin's character that his wife, you know, has tried to kill herself as well. And they're both kind of raging at the world in their own yeah. sort of way. And then, you know, again, to jump to at the end a little bit, but then, you know, and Amir's got his own trauma, which is his dad hates him. It's another movie where, you know, the son's yeah. just getting nothing from his dad. But, you know, instead of it being something like from... Um, What's that Cronenberg movie? Uh, not Cronenberg, but it was the A History of Violence. Oh my God! Yeah, Cronenberg. Yes. So this, and, yeah. And so History Cronenberg. of Violence ends with this kind of shootout, um, or it, it, he just comes back, goes to see all his old people that you can tell he's important because the way they treat him. You yeah. know, it's all show don't tell. And then um, he makes dinner, and he makes the exact dinner that he made. That Amir tells the story that my mum and my dad once went to a dinner that they talked about for years. And, you know, and Nicolas Cage is apparently some sort of like savant. He goes, I remember every meal I've ever made. I remember everyone I've ever served. And he makes that meal for the dad. And it's such a great moment, a great piece oh of acting where he's like, he's had the food. He takes a sip of the wine and Adam Arkin just, all of those walls come down and he breaks down and has to sort of run away because he's crying. Yeah. And, and instead of it being, you killed my pig or whatever, he's like, he comes clean and goes, the pig died. Nicolas Cage has his breakdown. Adam Arkin's having his breakdown. You know, Alex Wolf's having his, like, his character moment. And I go, and they've done this. It's a 92-minute movie. Mm -hmm. yeah. This guy, for a debut film, Michael Sonoski, wow. I mean, just that guy came out of the, of the books and just knew exactly what he was wanting to do. It kind of, you know, the, it felt like ex machina to me as well, the way it was mm -hmm. shot. And it was very quiet. Yeah. And it used sometimes just, you know, the natural sort of like... Uh, um, beauty of Oregon and stuff like that. I was just, it's just such great effect. I think this is a movie more people should be talking about more. Yeah. yeah. And I think yeah. that was, you know, that's the, that's the problem with that release of going on, same thing with like a Prey going on Hulu, not spending a lot of time on the theme. Both Prey didn't get a theater release at all, but which is criminal. But yeah, I, I think a lot of people saw this, but it just wasn't talked about enough. And I mean, the, the two scenes, that I always go back to rewatch. I mean, the scene where he's in um, the restaurant with his former chef mm -hmm. and he just sit, like just mm -hmm. deconstructs this guy's entire career. And you see him like smiling, like, doing, like what, the, what, the, what the fuck? Like just, <laughs> just eviscerating him, but in the most calm, calm yeah, way. But, he's just way of, like, but you wanted to open a pub. Like, yeah. why didn't you do that? Like, what is this? You know, do you genuinely enjoy this? He's no, not like, none of this matters. These people aren't real. None of this is real. Like yeah. that, that dialogue delivery, that's what that solidified, like that scene. And then the scene where he cooks dinner at the end, obviously like that scene solidified this as like, holy crap, this is, 
this this is a phenomenal film that more yeah. people need to see. So yeah. here's a question then. I'm like, because I don't know the answer, so I'm throwing it to you guys, but you know, something like The Goonies is a four-quadrant movie, right? It's pretty much there for everybody. Now, Pig is a top-notch movie, but you, the three of us are also massive movie nerds. Yeah. Is is Pig something that just Joe Q public could put on and enjoy? I, I'd like to say yes, but I think it would almost be frustrating for, for, for people that it's not, it's not spoon-feeding you. Right. Yeah. If you're, I, if, you're going, if you're going into it thinking you're going to get like a John Wick experience, like I was, yes, I think you're going to, you're going to be, you might be turned off by, by a lot of it. But I think if you, but this movie was so good at subverting my expectations. Cause I really did. I was expect, every step of the way I was expecting it to go one way and it just didn't do any of that. And I was so pleasantly surprised by the outcome that this movie real, like when I watched this, I was, I was taken aback. Like it's mm-hmm. a, it's an emotional ride. Yeah. But it's, Took a breath at the end. What were you going to say? Oh, so uh, I actually kind of have a point of view on this because I saw it with my mom. Like, uh, like we, I went back home for a visit. We watched this on Hulu, and uh, this is going back six months ago or so. I think that's when I saw it. I don't remember. But uh, watching it with her, uh, she definitely did not take to the movie the same way I did. Like, I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. And she kind of, when it was all over, she was like. Uh, what was the point of that? Like, what was that? And I was like, okay. So I, I think, yeah, I think that sense. might be why this movie's not talked about more is because I think you need to have kind of an understanding of cinema language mm-hmm. and how it speaks to you yeah. in order for it to like you to get what's really going on. Because my mom doesn't see, she sees movies, but not a ton. And so this one, she was just kind of like, no, nothing happened. So it just didn't affect her the same way. Yeah, you're right. My Whereas parents, I was just, like, they wouldn't like this movie. But yeah, I, I think yeah. I think you're right. You need to. Uh, this movie isn't for. It's not a very accessible movie, um, right? But if you take the time with it, I think the payoff at the end is you're left with this like truly yeah. emotional experience. Very yeah. much so. I, I I remember watching it with my missus, and she remembered it. Like I remember her enjoying the movie. But at the end, I'm there wanting to talk about it, like we are. Yeah. Like a, mm-hmm. Maybe the cinematography and the, the way it was done and the, the lack of, you know, I just, I was so like the balls, I guess, of that, yeah. that writer director and like, yeah. and to pull it off so well and to, to deliberately subvert expectation. That's a brave thing to do that can piss people off. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's crazy to think that the, in the original script, it was supposed to be a buddy comedy starring Nicolas Cage and the Muppet Miss Piggy. And then <laughs> through like just a ton of studio interference, you know, this is what we got. So. <laughs> well, when this strike is over, that's the movie I'm going to make. Yes. So yeah. we'll pick it back up. More Muppets in movies. I've been saying it since episode one. But then also the, the organ of this, is is massive um yeah starts off yeah. um in the forest uh he's got the river and stuff like that he, he we meet sort of like different kinds of oregonians like when he goes to the first place you meet some of the uh, the people who are also just living in the country and also gather their uh their truffles we meet some of the methy people that kidnap the, the pig the granolas we move right but then we move into <laughs> to portland i'd say i think i know what portland looks like now it's one of these things in my head i always imagined i wonder what it looks like well now i know what it looks like i've i've only ever been to portland and it that's it 
Yeah, yeah. it's pretty much. Like he's walking and he's walking past um, vineyards at one point, only for like three seconds in a shot. But then he's also referencing the Oregon wine. They yeah. reference Mount what's its face? Is it Mount Hood or what? Rainier? I can't remember. But like that's uh, you know right there in the background. Then we end up in the sort of the nicer houses and the suburbs and and all this kind of thing. I think like it, it's it's pure Oregon. It was also only shot in twenty days. Like, yeah. so think about like, like five and most, and most of that because the pig was difficult to work with. <laughs> the what, pig yeah. was difficult to work with. Like there's yeah. Nicholas Cage got bit numerous yeah. times by that. Well, pig. they showed it this scene from forgetting Sarah Marshall. I'm like, is this what you want? Is this what you want? That's <laughs> how they kept it in line. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, Nicholas Cage is quoted as saying like on set after he had gotten bit like numerous times, he's like, I've been set on fire, you know, I've been through all these dangerous stunts. I'm going to die because I got sepsis from a big bite. God, <laughs> like, yeah. So Cage, Cage says it's his favorite performance. Yeah, and it shows. I mean, yeah, this the, like this period of his resurgence of his career, barring like Willie's Wonderland, for lack of a better term, even though he has not a not a single line of dialogue in that movie. But it was like this and Mandy were like two like very symbiotic films. Like if you want that insano Nicolas Cage murder spree revenge thing, definitely watch Mandy. It's a goddamn acid trip of a film. It's nuts. It's incredible. But like, then you have the more subdued, calm, subtle, like dare I say subtle performance he has in this movie. Oh, it's extremely subtle. But then like when he does have his, he has an outburst uh, to do, you know, like, you know, because he's angry, he's kicking it, was his face, his car, Amir's car. But then he has the other outburst at the end when he's just distraught when he finds out the pig is yeah. dead. And then, like, yeah. the interesting thing is that we go through this entire thing to get this pig back because truffles are very expensive. But it's only at the end he goes, I don't need the pig to find truffles. I find them because of the trees. And he's like, well, what are we mm-hmm. doing for? He goes, because I love her. I just yeah. love this pig. It's my companion. Yeah. And it was just that, again, that pure moment of just, like, you know, it's the, it's the bit where it separates from being John Wick. John Wick is, you killed my dog, and now I'm going to kill everything and everyone that's ever even spoken to you for four movies. Yeah. yeah. You know? But, like... Yeah. It's like, when he finds out the pig is dead, and, you know, it, it wasn't about money, and... Yeah. But he still, he goes back, and you still feel okay at the end, because it ends with that beautiful bit where it's just his wife playing this song that he listens to on the tape. And I'm like, you know, I'm just thinking about it again. Like, it's such a fucking good movie. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it is. It's it, this is a movie that I, it's one of those where you see it and it, it stays with you, man. Like, if, if had I seen it in the theater, it's just one where you'd walk out and you're just like, whoa. I mean, I feel like hit with a hit by a, tr- a tr- train. Like, it just it's really even just talking about it now. Just it it floods yeah. back in. I'm like, wow, you felt just, like you were hit by a train and you were like a dead body on the side of like the, <laughs> next to it. And then oh, <laughs> I see what you're doing there. <laughs> feel like a feel like a Ray Brower for sure. We yeah. we brought it full circle, which I think is a perfect time to get into um, why we do this, which is to find the movie that best defines the state. Um, Guys, it's so hard um, yeah. because they are all purely Oregon movies. They are almost yeah. all shot in, in Oregon. Stand By Me gives us the small town countryside feel, Oregon. Goonies gives us the small town country feel by the uh, ocean, Oregon. And Pig gives us the yeah. small town 
um, out in the wilderness and sort of the city, Oregon, that where do you guys think? Because I'm like, it's, it's pretty much neck and neck. I know where I'm leaning. I'm just interested about where you guys are. Yeah, this is, even going into this was a tough one because I, I, I don't know enough about Oregon as a whole. Like I said, I've only been to Portland a handful of times, but I, I, which it's, you're right. They're all so close in scenery and iconography and what they show. It's really difficult to nail just one down that, that, that captures all of that from a feeling standpoint, like we talk about. Um, so I have no idea. No, I got no answer. <laughs> yeah. Go, go, Will. Go for it. I was, I was going to say, this is, this is definitely the toughest one um, because of everything you mentioned. I would say if I were to break it down, I would say Stand By Me represents a specific time and place in Oregon's history that maybe doesn't exist anymore. Uh, Goonies, I feel like, is timeless. And like you can kind of set that in any era. And the only thing that would really change is technology and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that would be it. Um, and then with Pig, uh, that's it's very modern look at Oregon. But I wonder if the experience of the main character, you're really just kind of experiencing that guy's journey and i don't know if that matches more people's experience of oregon yeah i'm kind of leaning towards goonies because that feels like one of the more even though very few of us have been on a pirate treasure hunt you know i can't i won't speak for you guys i've been on several but you you. know yeah (laughs) well i'm kind of privileged in that way i I get i got my hand on a lot of treasure maps not to brag but uh you you get your booty from other means (laughs) (laughs) exactly but like that feeling of like friendship, if I could speak, friendship and kind of hanging out, going on an adventure in your hometown feels probably something like more people have experienced. I'm leaning towards Goonies for that reason, but I can be swayed in a couple different ways. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm, I'm, when you when you said we were going to do Oregon, I'm just going to go. My gut, the my immediately went to Goonies. Me too. When you when you chose Pig, I had completely forgotten that it was set in Oregon until I'd re I mean, it just didn't, I didn't register for some reason. And then I had to remember or look up and see that, I, Oh, that stand by me was also in Oregon. So for me, and I think for most of our listeners and fans of the movie would instinctively just knee jerk response, go Goonies for sure. I mean, Goonies was my initial thought as well. Why wouldn't it be? It's what the, you know, as a kid in England and growing up in Asia, you know, that's like, okay, that's what Oregon looks like. You know what I mean? Like, you know, that's, I'm not even sure I even understood that's Oregon, but I knew Astoria. And so like, as I got older, you know, I like, okay, right. That's a real place. But like the, I agree with you. I I, like, so for me, it's pretty much neck and neck between Goonies and Pig, because I think the one thing Mm -hmm. by me um, loses is that there's all the characters just suck. And I don't mean like like right. terrible people. Whereas like yeah. in the Goonies, you get a snapshot yeah. of life there yeah. and people there. And I think I think the reason I lean ever so slightly to Pig is because, like I was saying, is that in Goonies we get to see one type of people, which is like the people that live in the suburb, you know, or the, or the town of a story. Yeah. But right. it's a, they're very people. But like with Pig, we see the people that there are people that live in middle of nowhere in a cabin there are people that live in a double white there are people that are outdoorsy people there are the the sort of the hard-working people of the city and then there are the rich people and it yeah. kind of like it shows us four or five different types of oregonian yeah. 
And, you know, it shows us the city of the country. It shows us the wine. It talks about the food. It talks about how they make wine there. Then I'm like, you know, it's just, even for a, such an introspective movie. And again, yeah. coming from a guy that loves the Goonies as much as anyone can love a movie. Like, mm -hmm. does, that, does that push Pig across the line as opposed to the Goonies? What do you guys think? It just I mean, might. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you're saying there. If you're, if you're trying to capture culture and you know lifestyle a little more so than just a bunch of kids on an adventure then yeah i would absolutely say pig ticks all those boxes you know but mm -hmm. there's no sloth in it so i don't know yeah nobody that's true ruth would, would, would i be quick to rewatch pig over goonies absolutely not that would be right. my go-to of like that's i'm popping that one in i'm watching it just to feel good about myself but and yeah. and I was gonna say one last thing in Goonies defense is uh the town of Astoria did set up a Goonies day. Yeah. Also, one more thing that's gonna blow your mind, the Cannon Beach at the very end of that is also the beach they use to film the end of Point Break. Yes. When Swayze's character mm -hmm. goes off into the into the into the ether, if you will. So yeah. yeah. So that's the boom, Goonies solved. <laughs> it's the final beach is California. Um, but you know, so I think I'm gonna I'm gonna go with pig. I'm gonna let's do it democratically, okay? I'm gonna vote pig. You guys do whatever you want because it's not about what's the best movie. Yeah, we always right. like yeah, I right. agree. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm on board for pig. I got it. I, I, I think right. you swayed me. Yeah, I think you swayed me with pig. It is such a good. I I hope that if people are listening to this, you really take the time to go and watch this movie. And I yeah. I agree with what Ryan says. I will watch the Goonies right now. I will then watch mm -hmm. it again later. Whereas Pig, I need to be in the right place, the right mood, and yeah. I watch it and be... Oh, I need a glass of wine and two Xanax. Uh, yeah. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, we're going to do that. It's official. Pig is the movie that best represents Oregon on the United States Movie Podcast. We decided that. I shouldn't have to of ice cream <laughs> or grocery store or whatever it was. Yeah, that's the one. Honestly, I do. You can find it. Look it up online. You can yeah. find a, I think I was watching a Goonies documentary or something, but there was clips of this ridiculous subplot with all of the gorillas that is uh, particularly entertaining. Um, all right. So the only thing that's left for us to do then is to pick where we're going uh, next week or this week, actually. Now, I just got back from a 2000 mile road trip. Uh, driving all through the states um, and as such I was kind of inspired and just this morning I finally made the decision that we're going to go to the state of Georgia next Ooh. yeah and, I, and there are some interesting movies out of there I mean, everything's um, filmed there <laughs> all kinds of movies as well so I'm really interested to see where that one lands mm. so guys get your thinking caps on but other than that thank you so much for as always for sitting down and talking movies with me I feel very good about the decision mm -hmm. we made with Oregon I think we picked great movies as well um, so in the future uh, if you guys have any uh, ideas um, if you're listening to this podcast you can always find me online as Ollie underscore Pettigrew or That Englishman in Texas you can find Will online as Will Hirsch uh, sorry as uh, entitled Willennial um, yep. I do believe Ryan you've also started a, a subreddit yeah I did I started a subreddit you can find me on uh, I've got a, a store for the podcast on uh, Public, on Threadless and on Etsy under uh, Rhino Digital R-Y-N-O Digital where you can get all sorts of fun pod swag yeah check out Ryan's designs they're awesome guys once again thank you very much and to everybody at home I hope you enjoyed this episode of the United States of Movie Podcast <laughs>